Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are again taking a break from the book of Acts. We are... We're finishing, excuse me, ending our our message series on relationships this week. We have a brief message next week, a standalone message, and it's called Confessions. Everybody say Confessions. Don't sing the Usher song, but it's called Confessions. It's not going to be on the screen when you come in next week. But I want to give you God's words perspective on this topic of confessions because it is something so powerful that we need. And I think we misunderstand what confessions are, whether we grew up in a Catholic church and we have an idea of that's what confession is, or we grew up thinking, I don't need to confess anything, only God forgives me. We're going to give you a biblical perspective on what that word confession means and what God has to say about it. So I encourage you to be here next week for that. And then after that, we're gonna dive right back into our Book of Acts series. And we'll close out the year. It'll be full, by the time we finish Acts, it'll be full year that we've been in the series of the Book of Acts. And so just, that's been such a blessing. But I wanna talk to you today about what the Bible has to say about relationships. Two weeks ago, I began this series, and of course, last week we got to hear from Pastor Paul Neal. How many of you were blessed by Pastor Paul last week? Is that great? He is, we call him the goat. And so, he's just such a wisdom and such a great man. But I'm addressing this topic of relationships because relationships, if we don't do them well, can be hell on earth. There's no other way to put that. If you don't do relationships well, you can live in hell here on earth. And so I want to talk to you about what God's word has to say about that. Of course, two weeks ago, I began talking about aligning us like a chiropractor. I gave a shout out to my chiropractor, Tina Terrier, wherever she's at. I think I saw her. There you go, Tina. And that message was to align our homes. Well, this message is also to align our homes. I want us to look at what God has to say about us as men now. We, we, I addressed the women two weeks ago. Now, men, I want to address you. Now, this is what the, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. We covered a lot of, about the, the church in Ephesus in the book of Acts. But this is what he says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, what Paul is saying here is to this this newer group of believers, this church that maybe is, I don't know, three to five years old, somewhere like that, he's saying to them, this is how you're supposed to live. What do you do? You imitate Jesus. Imitate Jesus. And I know most of us understand that in the concept of how we live our personal lives, how we interact with random people, how we operate at our jobs. What we don't apply that in is how we apply this to our marriages, how we interact with our spouses. 
And that's what Paul is saying here, saying imitate Jesus. Now he talks about a lot of different things before he gets to this, but he comes right back to it. How do we live as Christians as a married person? What does God want for us? Now in Ephesians chapter five, verse 21, he comes back and he says this, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Two things that I touched on two weeks ago that I want you to see in that briefly is number one, we are supposed to submit to one another. The chapter that I'm reading from and we're teaching out of has many, many times you've heard this, ladies, submit to your husbands. That's true. I'm not pulling away from that. But what I am is adding to it what the Bible actually tells us. You submit to your husbands, but husbands, you submit to your wives as well. Now, how we flesh this out looks different. How you submit to one another looks different. And that's what we're explaining because God has given us a divine order that we're supposed to have in our homes. If you are wondering why your marriage is in chaos, it's probably because someone is out of order. Someone is not following God's design order for the marriage, for the family. That is how things get out of whack whenever we're not properly aligned the way God wants us to be. So we see that we submit to one another, but we also see the reason why we submit to one another is because we're first submitted to Jesus. The motivation for us to live this way is because we are submitted to our King Jesus. That means there are gonna be times that you do not want to submit to one another. I know y'all find that extremely hard to believe. There are gonna be times that you are not going to want to do the right thing, but the reason why we do the right thing is out of our reverence and our submission to Jesus. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, that means that when your will crosses his will, your will submits to his will. That's what lordship is. Jesus is my Lord and my savior. No, 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 you think Jesus is your savior. You've not made him your Lord. When he's your Lord, that means that yes, there's conflicts, but you submit to him because he is Lord. That's what we're talking about. So those are our motivations. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this is what he says. He gets right into how this order of the family, this order of the marriage should play itself out. He says this in verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands. Now I talked about this two weeks ago. In the original language, in the original, um, the Greek text of this, this is what it says. It says, for wives, this means to your husbands, meaning that this is a continuing thought from verse 21. Submit to one another. Wives, this means you do this to your husbands, is what he said. The word submitted was added there, but it doesn't take away from the fact that that's what you're called to do. But it does put an emphasis on the fact that we're called to submit to one another. Let me keep going. For, for a husband, <coughs> excuse me, is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. This was the role that Paul was saying, this, wives, this is the role you play within 
a marriage, a godly family, godly home. This is what you're called to. I don't like that. Well, I didn't write it. (laughs) It's in the Bible. You know, the one that you used to beat your husband over the head with, it's in that same book. And I, I addressed you, but again, we're, t- we're addressing this to men now. So Paul continues on and he starts addressing the role of a man and how a man is to submit to his wife. And this is what he says. For husbands, as you're submitting to your wives, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For the man who loves his wife actually loves excuse me, actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Wives, you got three verses. We got all of this. I want to say that I know that for most of us men in this place, we didn't have an example of what being a a godly husband looks like. Some of you did. Some of you had an incredible dad who modeled for you what being a godly husband looks like. But based on statistics, most of you in this place did not. You may have had a dad who was in the home, but he didn't represent a godly husband. And here's the sad thing. The sad thing is we gravitate towards what we've seen. We repeat the cycles that we've seen. If we've never had it modeled for us what a godly man, a godly husband looks like, what a man of God looks like, if we've never seen it modeled, we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to live out what we have never seen. But this is what Paul is addressing, and he says this. He says, you may not think you have a model, but you had a model. And the model is Jesus. The way that Jesus, yeah, come on, that's good, you can clap. That model is Jesus. Because what Jesus did with the church, husbands, is what you're supposed to do with your bride. How Jesus treated his wife, the church, is how we are to treat our wives every day of our lives. This is our call. That is our example. And I understand for those of you who are just coming to the church and like, I don't understand all of that. I haven't read all this stuff in my Bible. Listen, start by getting around men who you see living like Jesus. Start there. That's right. You hold some of that clapping because I hadn't even gotten started yet. But you're going to get around men, and when you see a man who has something that you want, 
Get around him. Spend some time with him. Ask him some questions. Lower your pride that says, I should have it all together. Listen, there's not a single man in this room who has it all together, myself included. And some of the men who you think in this room, they have it all together, I'm their pastors. They don't. (laughs) They don't. But when you find a man who has something that you don't, humble yourself and ask him how he does it. And if he's being a good husband and a good dad, he's modeling what he learned from Jesus and from other godly men. See, what I hope to accomplish today is a few things. And I was praying about this this morning. For young men, I want to give you something to follow. If you're here and you're a single young man, I want to give you what to follow. Because most culture and society and sometimes even our dads don't give us the road map. But I want to give you from God's word what you're supposed to be. It's not what culture has told you. I can promise you that. It is not that. I want to show you what you're supposed to be and model that for you. Husbands who are in a marriage and things are struggling and things are hard, I want to help teach you what you can correct, what you can adjust so that you can get to the place God wants you to be and have the marriage he wants you to have. Older men, I want to applaud you for those who've done it well. Older men who haven't done it well, I want to encourage you that it's not too late to change. It's not too late to change. That's what I want to accomplish this morning. Our model to follow was Jesus and the church. Now, let me address single men for a minute because verse 25 says something interesting. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. We get that. But then it says this, he gave up his life for her. You are looking, single men, you're looking for someone to lay your life down for Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Two weeks ago when I was talking about single ladies and what to look for in a man, y'all were, I want to do the same thing for you men because I want to set you up for success. And this, I want you to hear my heart when I say this. If she's ungrateful now, do you really want to spend the rest of your life trying to please someone who will never be happy? Now, ladies, I want you to view this through the lens, not of, oh, I can't believe he said that. I'm a woman and we're supposed to be behind. I want you to view this through the lens of the type of woman you want your son to marry. Take the tension off yourself and think about your son for a moment. Do you want your son to marry someone who is going to be unhappy for the rest of her life? If that's the case, jump ship. Single people, I want to encourage you with this. Have the tough conversations right now. Find out what you have right now. Be honest right now. And I know what you're saying. You're like, I don't, I don't want to rock the boat, so I don't want to like bring up uncomfortable stuff. We're having a good time. I don't want to rock the boat. If you don't rock the boat now, you may find yourself on the Titanic. Titanic. 
have the tough conversations while you're dating. Because here's the thing, when you're dating someone, this is what you're doing. You're trying to decide whether or not that's the person that you want to lay your life down for. That's okay to do. It is okay for you to evaluate. I don't believe in judging. You better. (laughs) Evaluate if that's the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And let me tell you this, you're going to see faults in them. You're going to see faults because, again, nobody's perfect. You're not looking for perfection. If you're looking for perfection, you will end up alone. (laughs) Okay, but what you're looking for is someone who has faults that you can live with. Because who they are far outshines the faults that you see in them. Can you love them where they're at in their faults? Because there's people who marry for potential and they end up being disappointed because their spouse never reaches that potential. They stay the way that they found them. And that's why you don't marry potential. You marry the person that you're with right now. Will you grow? Absolutely. Will you grow together? Absolutely. Will you change and become more like Christ? Absolutely. But if they don't, can you live with that? I know it's heavy, but it's good and it's right. Do not marry someone for their potential. You marry them as if if they never changed, I could live with that. And if you can't, then don't. Then don't. Now, husbands, back to you. Your wife is a garden for you to tend. And you've got to look at it that way. Your wife is a garden for you to tend. If you want to know how you're doing as a husband, you don't have to go and ask somebody else how I'm doing. Just look in her eyes. Just stop for a moment and look in her eyes. If she's miserable... 90% of the times is your fault. (laughs) We're going to be very candid this morning. 90% of the times it's your fault. Now, I, I remember a time when my wife and I, before we moved here, we were in ministry in Gulfport, Mississippi. There's nothing in Gulfport, Mississippi except casinos. And we're Christians, so we didn't spend much time there, okay? But I'll tell you this. We woke up one day, and I'm in ministry, and I'm, I'm reaching people, and I'm running as fast as I can, and I'm enjoying ministry, and I will never forget this day as long as I live. We're going to bed one night, and my wife sits up, and she looks at me, and she says, I'm not happy. And it was a different kind of I'm not happy. It wasn't a... I had a bad day, I'm unhappy. The kids got on my nerves, unhappy. It was a, in life, in marriage, I'm not happy. And man, can I tell you something? I was doing ministry and I was running and I was running for God and doing all this stuff and that was my fault. And something had to change. And guess what? Something changed. That's part of the reason why we moved here. Our marriage got healthy and strong and, health and thriving. 
and I allowed people to help work on the tough areas in my own pride, in my own life that was keeping me from being a good husband. She allowed women to get into her life, to sharpen her, to be a better wife. That's how we got better. Man, this is your garden to tend. And listen, even if it's not your fault, it's your responsibility. And we're going to get into that a lot more later. It may not be your fault, but it is certainly your responsibility. Let me keep moving because I've got a lot more to cover. And I want us to be out of here by 4 o'clock today, so we're, we should be good. <laughs> if your wife is walking around believing lies, guess whose responsibility it is? Well, Pastor, I told her the truth. Keep telling her the truth until she gets it. Keep speaking it into her until she sees what you see. You can't just go, well, I told her. It's not good enough. It's your responsibility. You don't walk into a garden and go, there's some weeds. I pulled it and walk away. And then you see the weeds again and go, well, I pulled them before. It's your garden. You have to tend to your garden. See, your daddy is no longer Adam. Your daddy is Jesus. The second Adam. This is what the first Adam did. Have you ever asked yourself the question, people go, I blame Eve. Eve ate the fruit. My question is, where was Adam? When the devil was lying to her and speaking those things to her, where was he? He was in one of two places. Either he was not there where he should have been guarding and protecting her, or... He was right there abdicating his responsibility and letting the devil lie to his wife. This is your garden to tend. And I want to get real practical because I want us to follow the example of Jesus. How did Jesus treat the church? How did he tend to his garden, the church? How did he lead? I'm going to give you four very practical ways that I see in Scripture that Jesus led the church. Number one, he was present. He was present. Jesus left heaven. Jesus heard from God. He had an intimate relationship with God the Father, yet he was still here present with the people that he was ministering to. Not just present physically, he was emotionally mentally engaged with the very people he was leading. He was present. Jesus wasn't on his heavenly iPhone talking to God. He wasn't looking at the latest social media apps. He was engaged. Jesus was a man of prayer, but yet he had a prayer life that was second to none and still found the time to engage his disciples in the church. If you are a man of prayer, let me just, I wanna shoot some, some religious devils in this place for a minute. I don't have time to spend time with my wife in the morning, I don't have time to do any of that because I'm up praying. Get up before she gets up and pray. Don't, don't use your prayer life as something to hide behind when you're not wanting to engage your wife. Jesus was a man of prayer. We need to be men of prayer. Wake up before she gets up and you spend time with God so that you can have some time with your family before you get your day started. Be present. Not just, again, physically. And let me just say this, man. I, I get it. I understand. 
You come home from a stressful day at work. You've been dealing with everybody's problems all day long. And by the time you get home, you want to check out. You're like, I'm tired of dealing with problems. And you get home and you got problems. (laughs) And you don't want to deal with them and you don't want to engage them. But here's the problem with that. The most important ministry you have is that ministry at home. The most valuable thing in your life next to your relationship with God ends up getting your leftovers. And I call it a ministry because that's what it is. Your family is your ministry to God. What do I mean? What do you mean by that, Pastor? You're presenting, when you stand before God, you're not, as the leader of your home, you are not just standing before God for your life. You're standing before God for your life and your family. You are presenting your family to God and you're presenting your family to the world. You send your children out, not just as people that you help raise, you send them out as an arrow in the hands of God. How is God gonna use them? Man, I know this is heavy, listen, I get it. But if you don't hear this from me, you will stay in the position that you're in. Let me sharpen you, lower your guard. Let me sharpen you. This is your first ministry. And because we get tired and because we get frustrated with work, we end up giving our families our leftovers. I want you to remember why you're doing this. Why do you work a job to begin with? Why do you work hard to begin with if not for them? Don't give them your leftovers. When you get home, be present. I'm gonna get real practical. How do I do that? How am I a present dad, a present husband? How do I do these things? Number one, when you're having dinner with your family, put your phone down and be there. If you're showing your family pictures or something, great, use that. Outside of that, don't, don't be on the phone. Don't be on social media. Don't be reading emails. Be present with your family. Why? This is how you see them. This is how you hear them. When you're in those moments, you're hearing what's going on in their lives. When you're in those moments, you're hearing what's important to them. Don't get to the point where your children are ready to leave the house and you don't even know who they are. Because you've never heard what's in their heart. You've never engaged with them. This is real small, real practical. Put the phone down and ask them questions. Have conversations at your dinner table. If your kids are moved out, that doesn't mean that you're off the hook. Keep doing it with your wife. Keep finding out what's in that heart. Connect to her heart. This is also what you're doing in those moments. Don't miss this, men. Everybody in this place, everyone. Don't miss out on this because when you don't do this, you don't get to discover what the devil is telling them. When you're engaging in those conversations, please don't miss this. When you're engaging in those conversations, you are hearing from their heart and you are gonna find out what the devil is lying to them with. You're gonna hear them talk about what happened at school. You're gonna hear her talk about how she's done with the kids. You're gonna hear her talk about that conversation she had with her mom and how you're gonna hear all of those things. That's where Adam should have been. Listening for the lies of the enemy. You are tending your garden in those moments. 
Don't miss those opportunities. The next practical thing is this. Be present when you're taking your wife on a date, which presupposes you're taking your wife on a date. <laughs> Man, take your, please date your wives. Listen, so many, I'm, I, I gotta get up for this one. So many of the problems that you face in your marriage could have been fixed by sitting across from her, just you and her on a date. So many of the frustrations that she has about the lack of communication would have been fixed if you would have taken her out on a date. When is the last time you dated your wife? I don't care if y'all clap. I want you to hear this, please. When is the last time you took her on a date? She doesn't need that. She told me that. That's a lie. She doesn't mean that. Date your wives. Have a time set aside that it's important enough for you to put it on your calendar and date her. Does it, I don't have a lot of money, Pastor. I'm not talking about bringing her to Rafino's or Charlie G's. Take her to a coffee house. Spend $5 on some coffee, but sit there and mine out her heart and connect with her. You know, in premarital, premarital counseling, I do this with couples. I, I, make, I, I make a statement and I let them kind of guess which one I'm talking about. And it's funny how they, their minds go in two different directions. What if I said to you, I want you to want to do this more. I wish you would initiate this sometimes. I wish you knew how important this was to me. Half the time, wives are thinking I'm talking about communication and men think I'm talking about sex. (laughs) It's so true. Because I'm, honestly, I'm talking about both in those moments because that's how important both of those things are individually to us. That's what we're doing. Now, number two, it's the first thing Jesus did and how he led. The second thing that he did is he served. He served. It's interesting that in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about how men, how, how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And how, excuse me, how in Ephesians, Jesus, we talk about how Jesus washes his bride, how we're supposed to wash our bride with the word. Yet Jesus, with his disciples, he got down on his knees and washed their stinky, dirty, nasty feet. He served them. Husbands, we are called to serve our wives. What does this look like? I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like I try really hard. And I want to speak to this for a moment. Trying hard does not always equate to serving. Trying hard is for our benefit. I'm doing my best to do this. When you're serving someone, you're meeting a legitimate need that they have. Which means that you have to find out what the legitimate needs that your wife actually has. You have to meet those. In counseling, a lot of talk about love languages with people. And there, there's five love languages. I'm not going to get into all of that. But there, if you've never read the book, Love Languages, the five love languages, I encourage you to get it by Gary Chapman. 
But it talks about the different ways that you express love and the way that you receive love. And this is what happens. This is how marriages get their wires crossed. You, you give love a certain way and your spouse receives love a certain way. And those two aren't the same. So you may give plenty of gifts thinking this is how I'm showing love and they don't care anything about gifts. They want quality time. So you're trying to give this gift and you feel like I'm doing my best to show you that I love you and they're going, why don't you love me? But the truth is, you didn't take the time to find out how they receive love. So because you didn't take the time to to find out how they receive love, you're frustrated and they don't feel loved. Serve your wife by finding out how she receives love. And serve her that way. If she requires physical touch, listen, I hug y'all all the time at church, but I am not a physical touch person. I don't like people touching me. I really don't. Like when people put their hand on my shoulder, I'm often like, but I'll grab my wife's hand because that's what she needs. I'll sit down with her and we'll walk and we'll hold hands because that's how she feels loved. And in that moment, guess what? It's not about me. It's about her. So I'm meeting her needs. I'm not talking about trying harder. I'm talking about trying differently. Some of you are so frustrated because you're running up against a brick wall. Listen, change your approach. And you may find that you actually, she starts actually receiving the love that you're trying to give. Part of serving is finding out that need and meeting it. Now, love your wives in the way that she receives love may also require you to ask her how she receives love. It may require you to ask, hey, am I doing a good job? What do you need from me? Now, that's scary. (laughs) That's scary. And wives, I know I'm speaking to husbands, but let me encourage you with something. If your husband asks you that question, please do not take this as a moment to reveal your bitterness. If he asks you that question, don't take that as a moment to beat him over the head. Would you, here's my question for you. Would you rather be right or be reconciled? When he comes to you and he asks what I can do better, how I can serve you well, do not beat him over the head with that. Tell him what you need and then watch him change. That's what you do. Pastor, I've tried and my wife changes. What she told me a month ago or two months ago or a year ago changes. Can I tell you something? Your wife is not a computer program. She's a person. And people change. What she needed from you five years ago is not what she needs from you anymore. And you've got to be humble enough to be willing to adapt and give her what she needs now. Wives, try to be consistent at least. (laughs) Don't tell us. I just wish that you would buy me more things. We buy you something. I just wish that you would hold my hand and then we hold your hand. I just wish, okay, just please figure out what you really need and tell us. I'm trying to give you a shot at this thing. Okay, number three. Actually, let me, let me say this practically speaking and I'll be brief with this. Husband, be, be a gentleman. 
That's a lost art for men. Sadly, be a gentleman. Some of the early stages for me of learning what a husband was, was watching Pastor Jacob Baranza on this stage walk over, grab Miss Michelle's hand, walk her up on this stage and hold her hand. That's not something I had seen before. But now that's something that I do with her. Because that's what men are supposed to do. Open the door for your wife. Don't you dare sit in the car, honk the horn and go, hurry up! (laughs) You laugh, but I see it happen. And when you do that, you are disrespecting the very gift God gave you. Open the door for your wife. That's so simple. That is so simple. Little things like, don't use language like my old lady. (laughs) I know it's what's cool at work. I get it. I know that's how the other men at your job speak. But those other men aren't men of God. You are. In our 14 years of marriage, I can't think of maybe on one hand I've called her my old lady. In 14 years of marriage, I refer to her as my bride. If, you, if my phone rings and my wife calls, you're going to see my sweet loving on my phone. <laughs> what are you doing? You're setting your mind on who God's given you. You're not belittling her down to what everybody else called the ball and chain. Are you kidding me? That's why you look at her that way. And honestly, you get men what you put in. If your garden is full of weeds, it's because you have intended it. I thought about this the other day. We have a dog. And that's not something I'm very proud of, but I, <laughs> I do like my dog. I know some of you are dog lovers. I like dogs. I hate cats, but I like dogs. And my dog, we were complaining about my dog the other day. And because we went on, we went out of town for our, our, our anniversary and we came back and I was like, man, this dog stinks. Who's supposed to wash him? <laughs> It's not his fault that he stinks, it's mine. (laughs) If your marriage stinks, whose fault is that? Whose responsibility is that? Something else that you can do, very practical, and I do this just about every morning of our lives. I start my day serving my wife. I start my morning, just about every morning of my life, the first thing I do when I get up, before I pray, before I spend time with God, I get up, I walk, I take care of the normal morning routines, and then (laughs) brush my teeth, get all that stuff straightened, my breath's fresh. I walk over to the coffee pot and I make my wife coffee every morning, every morning. I'm setting my heart on serving her the very first thing that I do every day. 
Man, this is 10 times easier now with a Keurig than it was five years ago. (laughs) This is the least that we can do to serve our wives. But serve your wife. Be a gentleman to her. The third thing. Now, I I really want to get into this. Please give me a little additional time this morning because I really want to mind down and I I promise I'm not going to go too long. But I will say this. I believe everything else that I've talked about, most of you would go, I can do that. I know I should have been doing that already. I'll start doing that, Pastor Gabe. Those are easy. This next one is going to be tough for some of you. This is how Jesus led the church. He confronted tough issues. He confronted tough issues. Most of us would agree again, I need to be doing that. I need to be opening up. I can make coffee. I can do that. But can you lead her? Can you confront tough issues? Jesus loved the church enough to confront the church with the truth. Again, it's easy to open the doors and to make coffee. But a lot of men, we don't want to disrupt the peace of our homes. So we're unwilling to have tough conversations. When things aren't going well, well, excuse me, when things are going well, we want things to continue to go well. So we don't say much. And we stay silent on things that we should speak about. Jesus didn't just love his bride and lay down his life for his bride. He also led his bride. There are things, men, that you have watched happen and go on in your home and you've been silently sitting aside for the sake of keeping the peace. That needs to change today. Sometimes being a husband means ruffling the feathers of your entire family for the sake of what's best for your family. And I knew this one was going to be tougher to hear, but please hear me. If you see your family going in the wrong direction, don't you dare sit back and say they'll learn. If you see your wife heading for heartache and pain, don't you dare sit back and go, she'll learn. You better say something. Why? Because God gave her and that family to you. And you're the leader. And I'm going to give you some examples of this. But before I do that, my wife is a godly woman. I'm serious. She is a godly woman. My wife loves me. She loves me. Our family, and most importantly, more importantly than all of that, she loves Jesus more than she loves us. She's a good woman. And I can't say, I can't say that about every person I meet, but I can say that about my wife. She's a good woman. She is. But even with a good, godly woman, there have been moments I've had to step in and lead. Moments I've had to say, baby, we're not going to go in that direction because I don't feel like that's what God wants us to do. We're going to do this. There's been moments I've had to speak truth to my family, and at times it's been, it hasn't always been easy. Here's the thing about my wife <laughs> the sweet woman that you see. My wife is a strong woman. I'll just put it that. She is no shrinking violet. When we first got married, it was like World War III often in our homes. I kid you not. We were like 
two rams locked up going to war. The marriage that you see today took a lot of work. She was strong and had daddy problems. I I am strong and had mama issues. That didn't make for good conversation and conflict resolution. It didn't. But we learned. And there were times that she had to let me lead. And there were times I had to be encouraged to step up and do the right thing even when it caused conflict. Do not be peacekeepers, men. Be peacemakers. We lead. Now some of us, some of you, you're tired of arguing. But the truth is you keep arguing, don't miss this part. I need every man in this room from my men back there in the sound booth to everybody in the ushers. I need all of y'all to hear this. Here's the thing. Some of you get tired of arguing and you're arguing over something that you're not really arguing about. You're not, you haven't gotten vulnerable yet and told them what you're really arguing about. So that's why the argument just continues going on and on and on because you, you haven't gotten vulnerable yet and said, here's my real problem. This is why I don't want y'all to miss this because men, we do this. We do this and I don't want, I want to, we've got to stop doing this. We pick and we vent instead of being vulnerable and saying, hey, I wish we would make love more. We don't want to be vulnerable and say that. So instead, we make cutting, sly remarks and we vent our frustrations in ways instead of being vulnerable and saying, hey, I would like us to make love more. We don't do that. We do things like this. We get cold and distant instead of saying, when you said that, you hurt my feelings. We don't want to show vulnerability, so instead we get mad, we, go, we, we get frustrated, and then we cut them every chance we get because we're hurt, we're offended, and we don't want to reveal that because that makes us seem weak. We've got to be honest. We've got to be open. We've got to be vulnerable. We stall, here's one, men. We stall decisions that need to be made because we're afraid to tell our wife, I don't trust that you can handle this. I don't trust that if I make this decision, this is going to cause a strain on our family, and I'm not sure that you can handle that strain. We would rather keep the peace instead of deal with the tough issue. And I want you to see this. We're not keeping the peace. We're making them miserable, and we're staying miserable. We have got to be honest Sometimes you have to enter into the tunnel of chaos in order to get things right. And men, when things are going well, we don't want to do that because she's finally happy. If you're not willing to do that, she won't be happy long term. She won't be happy long term. Be humble enough to be honest and say, listen, you hurt me. Be vulnerable enough to say, I don't feel like we make love enough. Be honest enough to say, I'm not sure that you're, you're, I don't feel like you're doing your part in this marriage, babe. See, part of our responsibility is pointing out when our wife is not doing hers. I know I wasn't going to get an amen for that one. (laughs) It's tight, but it's right. Part of our responsibility is pointing out, babe, 
I feel like, and this engages, causes conflict, and you may be wrong, that's okay, but at least you've said it, you've gotten it out there, and you've fixed things. Part of your responsibility is pointing out when she's not doing hers. Babe, I can't work a 10-hour day and come home and do everything for the kids and the family. I can't do that. I need your help. I need you. I can't do this without you. But because we don't want to go there, we just keep getting frustrated and frustrated until we blow up and then there's real problems. How do I know that? Because I counsel men. I know this. I know, I know this from issues my wife and I have had. When we try to be nice, instead of dealing with the problem, the problem gets so much bigger. Sometimes you just got to deal with the issues. Men, guess who's the leader? Guess whose responsibility it is to lead these tough conversations? Some of your wives are dying on the vine because they just need you to lead. They're dying on the vine because they need you to lead. Ladies, let me encourage you with this. This is not your place to keep pointing out that he's not leading well. This is a man having a conversation with men. Don't keep pointing out his failures. I talked to you about that two weeks ago. This is men, this is a man having a conversation with other men to be a better man. Part of your responsibility, men, is to to point out these things, to speak the truth in these things, to engage the conflict that you are afraid of. Isn't it funny? We can fight in a bar in our 20s, but we don't want to make mama mad in our 40s. It's true. Some of you will go out and fight three men. But you're scared to death to tell your wife she did something wrong. (laughs) Practically speaking, what do I do? How do I do this? (sighs) Let me say this first before I get into that. Why do I have to do this, Pastor? Because you're the leader. Why do I have to initiate intimacy most of the time? Because you're the leader. Because you leave practically. This is what you have to do. If there's something difficult in your family that needs to be discussed, do not wait for her to bring it up. You bring it up. You bring it up. And you, you you may walk like a puppy with feet too big, like I don't know quite how to do this. But try. Try. Don't vent your frustrations to your wife. Bring them to her. Don't cut her with sly remarks. Tell her how you feel. If you see her not doing something right in your family, just tell her, babe, I don't think that was right. And wives be humble enough to hear that and correct if he's wrong because he may not see the full picture. That's where communication comes into play. When you're not communicating, that's when you have a real issue. When you have families who say, I ne- we never argue. I look at that and I go, something's wrong then. Something is wrong. If you have no conflict in your marriage, somebody somewhere is hiding something. Bring up issues in times of non-conflict. When things are going well and you are hoping things continue to go well, but you see a problem, that is your moment to bring it up. Because if you don't, it's going to come up two months from now in in a blow up. Well, remember two months ago when you did this? What? (laughs) Lastly, number four. 
How did Jesus lead? He took responsibility for us. That means that he sacrificed for us and he led us. Jesus left heaven to come here like we just celebrated with communion. He went through all of those things, laying his life down for us. (laughs) Excuse me. As a husband, man, you've been given the charge to sacrifice for your wife and to lay your life down for her and to lead her. Why? Because that is your responsibility. Now, the sinful nature, and listen, I'm just, I'm, I'm giving these things somewhat in generalities, but I think they apply. The sinful nature of a woman is to rebel and to not let you lead. Pastor, how dare you say that? I wasn't the first person to say that. God said that. When Adam and Eve fell, God told Eve, your punishment will be childbirth, labor, pain, and your desire will always be for your husband. That wasn't meant you're going to think he's hot. It was you're going to desire to usurp the authority that God has given him. That's within the sinful nature of a woman. Within the sinful nature of a man is to be selfish. To make decisions based off what's best for us, not the people God has given us responsibility for. That's within our sinful nature. Don't miss this. That's why, I want you to see, again, I talked about the cycle a couple weeks ago, and again, I'm almost done. But we're called to love and to lay our lives down for our wives. You can't do that when you're living in your sinful nature because you're only thinking about yourself. And here's the cycle. I think about myself, therefore she doesn't respect me, and, so, and she doesn't respect me, and so she doesn't trust me, so she steps up to lead. And because she starts to lead, it makes me want to just do what's right for myself. And again, that cycle happens over and over. Men, lead the charge and do what's best for your family, even when it hurts you. Even when it hurts you. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. And when you're living a selfish life, self-centered on what's best for you, that's why there's problems. It's out of order. Here's the best definition that I've ever heard of masculinity. I know I've shared it with you before and I'm closing. She's gonna come up and play in a moment. The best definition of masculinity I've ever heard in my life is the glad acceptance of sacrificial responsibility. That is what men do. We gladly accept sacrificial responsibility. When there's something, when there's responsibility to be taken in our family, guess what? We take it. When there's something, when there's protection that needs to happen, guess who steps in? Us. When there's provision that needs to happen, guess who steps in? Us. When the budget's out of whack, guess who steps in and says we need to fix it? Us. She may be better with numbers than you. She probably is. But it's your responsibility to initiate it. What do men do? We take responsibility. This is what God has made us to do. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. When we were in sin... When we rebelled against God, Jesus took responsibility for us and he came and laid down his life for us, modeling for us what we're supposed to do as men.
Practically, what does that look like? How do I do that? Here's something very simple. You make sure your home is secure at night. Give me real practical things I know. Not her, not the kids. If your wife looks over and asks you, is the door locked? Don't you dare look at her and go, I don't know, go check. your responsibility to make sure your home is secure you're the protector pastor she's tougher than me I don't care (laughs) I heard one pastor say if your wife may is a if I heard of a scenario where a girl a girlfriend and a guy go on a date and she's a expert black belt and a gang of people walk up to you and they threaten her She may be six foot, you may be five, five. She may be a black belt, you may be a wimp. You better move her out of the way and step in front of that game. Why? You're the protector. Now, she can take care of them when they beat you up. you lead the charge. (laughs) Men, it's your responsibility. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. It's yours. It's not hers. Single ladies, what are you looking for? For this kind of man. The kind of man that when there's trouble, he steps in for you. He protects you. And he recognizes not only is that his job culturally, that's his responsibility by God towards you what else you pray for your family at night you spiritually lead your family you grab a hold of your wife I don't know what to say or how to say it start somewhere I'm embarrassed who cares I don't know if I feel comfortable do it until you feel comfortable Grab a hold of your wife's hand every night and pray and ask God to bless your family. That is providing a spiritual covering for your family. When it's time to go to church, don't you ask, babe, are we going to church today? You lead the charge. You get up early and say, babe, hey, are we ready for church? church? What what do I need to do to help us get ready for church? We're going to church. I don't care if the saints are playing. We're going to church. Y'all were amening me until I said that. Very practically, don't shift the blame. Don't shift the blame. If something happens in your home and in your family, do not shift the blame. Even if it's not your fault, it's still your responsibility. Again, you point out where her responsibility is. You point out the responsibility of your kids. You point out all of those things. But it is your responsibility. It's the last thing I'm gonna say and I'm gonna pray. This is, men, how we submit to our wives. This is how we lay our lives down for our wives. It's not easy, but it's our calling. We lead them well. We take responsibility. We do the hard things. We do the right thing, and we tend to their hearts. Listen, if you're in this place, I want us all to stand up for a moment.
And if you're standing next to your spouse, I want you to grab them by the hand. If you're standing next to the person that you intend to marry, no pressure if you brought a date to church. I want you to grab your spouse's hand. Go ahead, do it. Grab your spouse's hand. And I want you to look them in the eye right now. Men, look them in the eye. And I want you to tell them this. Say, man, I may not have always been this type of man, but this is the type of man I want to be. And I make this commitment to you. This is the man I'm going to be. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the marriages in this house. Father, I thank you for bringing order and alignment to our marriages, to our home. Lord, forgive us where we've not, as men, represented Jesus what you've been. Where we've not been the protector, where we've not been, Lord, the provider, where we've not taken sacrificial responsibility, where we've not been willing to do the hard thing because we were too selfish. Lord, we repent to you. Forgive us. But Lord, help us. Give us the grace today to be the type of men that we need to be. Give us the grace today to lay our lives down for our wives, Jesus, the way that you laid your life down for the church. Help us to find out what's in her heart so we can speak truth to it. Help us to serve her well. Help us to date her again. Help us to love her and to the the place, God, where that garden is again blossoming and blooming and coming to life. I pray, God, for the anointing of God to be on every man in this place. I pray for the young men in this place. Young men, if you're unmarried, if you're here, whether you're older men or young men, if you're in your unmarried, I want you to lift up your hands to heaven right now. Let me pray for you. Just lift them to God if this is the type of man that you want to be. Lord, I ask that you give them the grace to be this type of man. A man who leads well. A man who loves well. A man who represents who you are. Put examples in front of them. Remove the lies of the culture that they believed. Help them to be men who take sacrificial responsibility seriously. And I thank you for healing homes and marriages in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.